Welcome to The Sober Effect, a show that looks at the positives of sobriety, the dangers of alcohol and the many people who are affected by it. I'm Kate. And I'm Steph. The ripple effect of alcohol is far-reaching, and those are the stories you'll hear on The Sober Effect. All right, episode 14. And on this episode, we have Rich and we are talking with him about working within the alcohol industry, which I think would be really tricky when you're sober. What do you think, Kate? Like this conversation was good. It does make me ponder the question, can someone get sober and stick around and continue to promote basically the thing that they're getting away from. I think working in a bar is slightly different than going out and trying to sell alcohol on a bigger scale. For example, fine wines and going to vineyards and talking about it and then trying to sell those wines to restaurants. You're trying to sell something that you believe is not good for you. And I think in any industry, If you don't, it's like being a vegetarian and selling chicken. Yeah. It would be so difficult because you couldn't sell it properly because people would say, well, what do you think? And you're like, well, I don't drink it. It's going to kill me. I mean, they just don't, you can't have that Or they're wanting to have a glass with you and you're like, oh, but I'm sober. Thanks. Exactly. And I just, I mean, I wouldn't want to be, I find it hard to be around people who are drunk. I think we've had this conversation before. I don't mind being around people who are drinking, but as soon as they tip over into that kind of, I'm slurring, my eyes are kind of rolling around, I'm not making sense, I'm repeating myself, I'm getting obnoxious, all the things that I used to do, Mm -hmm. I really don't want to be around. And having to work in a bar, you have to close up, you have to be there till the very end, you have to get people out, you have to deal with people throwing up and having fights. I mean, that's, I'm talking about, sort of pub culture at yeah. its worst but I mean I've only worked in one pub in North London and I did one shift and I broke my toe and had to go to <laughs> A&E and I never went back because I was on crutches and it was kind of a trial break your toe what, what I stubbed you it on the bar oh, I God. literally walked and I stubbed it badly on the bar and ended up having to go into hospital But it wasn't, I mean, it was, I drank at the time, but I wasn't allowed to drink when I worked there. I think that's a lot of, a lot of people want to become publicans and run pubs because they like alcohol and it's really dangerous. And I have had this conversation before where I used to live, the guy who owned my local pub was an alcoholic. And, you know, he used to say, this is the best job in the world. And I said, well, is it though? Because if your own only focus is to drink, then fine. But aren't these your profits? And isn't it bad for you to drink all day? And he just said, no, I love it. But I just almost I think it would be easier to be sober and run a bar because it's going to be more profitable. Yeah. But actually, I wouldn't know. How do you do that? Right. Like, how it's, do you? I don't it's know. so hard because I think about all the bar owners you know, from my town growing up and, you know, I would freak the ones that I would frequent, the bar owners were always sitting at the bar drinking yeah. always. And it's yeah. like, like you said, I was a lot younger, you know, in my twenties, I wasn't thinking profit and stuff like that. I honestly was like, what a cool job. Like you own yeah. the bar and now you can sit and drink for free. Like it's such a culture thing, right? Like it gets, you know, embedded. Like I said, I was in my twenties, but now I'm sober and I think about those people and I'm like, 
they never stood a chance, even if they wanted to get sober or even thought about it It was probably never going to be a thought because that's your livelihood. That's all, you know, it's like, you're just, you're, you're trapped in there. I worked at a bar, not for very long. And actually it's kind of funny because Blake and I had just started dating when I started working there and I was horrible, absolutely horrible. Like I did not make very good money. And I remember I only worked there like two nights a week because I had a full-time day job. But I remember Blake asking me, how much money are you really pulling in? And it was like (laughs) maybe $50, you know, a week. And he was like, okay, listen, I will give you $50 a week to quit that job because it's just, it's, he's like, I love you, but that is just not you like it's not working so it's kind of funny because I don't think I would have ever made it in the hospitality business but so many people start at that young age I was only 21 they start at that young age and then it just becomes who they are and it becomes this like part of their identity even stronger I think than you know I identified as a drinker but can you imagine if that's what's footing the bill and that's what's your livelihood how do you go ever go against it I know. Well, I mean, I guess some people don't have a drink problem. Some people who work in bars don't drink all the time. And when they do, I mean, I used to go out with a guy who was my bartender when I lived in Brooklyn in New York. And I used to stay there till closing and then we'd go out to a club or something. He hardly drank at all. He would have one beer the whole evening. I'd be sitting at the bar chatting to him while he'd be serving other people. And I would probably drink you know, four glasses of wine before he got off and he would have a pint of like Brooklyn lager or something and yeah. it would last him the whole evening. And then we'd go out and he'd have maybe one other drink. So I think some people just don't drink a lot. They never want to. They don't like being drunk. They've never had a problem with it. Maybe some people are sober because they've never had a drink. They don't want to drink. You know, there's mm-hmm. lots of people now who are in their 20s who haven't ha- ever had a drink and they're like, why yeah. would I want to? So there's those kind of people as well that probably see it purely as this is a profitable business. I like working with the people. I don't have to drink or I don't have to drink much. It's fine. But I think there is a danger of being surrounded by alcohol all the time. And if you have even the tiniest bit of I'm going to drink more than I should in you, like we both did, Mm -hmm. I'm not going to be able to stop when I need to. It is red flag heaven isn't it it's just just don't go near it well should we hear from rich and and what happened to him yes let's hear rich's story my entire adult working life really up until this time last year pretty much was really entwined with booze you know I, I always sort of kind of look back and think I was never like physically dependent on alcohol like I would never have said I was an alcoholic but I was certainly dependent on it in terms of kind of my identity which was built around work and, and vocationally so you know in, in that sense there was a dependency on drink on alcohol but I Literally after leaving school, I I pretty much immediately went to work in bars. It was just like an easy option, you know, taking a a year out and going traveling. So I needed to earn some money. And that was that was the quick that was the easiest option, really. And I think at that point, I I sort of found a love for hospitality, actually. I, I really enjoyed working in hospitality. I was never like an academic at all like I was always a bit of a clown at school quite sporty never really achieved grades that probably would have done me justice in terms of potential um was always just kind of Mr Average and then 
you know, I think I just sort of took that into sort of my adult life and worked in bars and restaurants, loved it, went to uni, dropped out of uni twice, funnily enough. The second time I was doing hospitality management. So I was kind of doing a degree that would give me a qualification to kind of go in the industry that I'd already sort of made a decision that I wanted to go into. I don't think you'd ever speak to anyone who works in the drinks industry who would say that they planned to work in the drinks industry. Because when we're at school and we get careers advice, there's never an element that, that really talks about hospitality as, as an opportunity because it's so entwined with alcohol. And obviously, when you're at school, you know, you're under the age of 18. So I think it probably is perceived to be something which is, you know, would be encouraging people to, to, to drink alcohol. Of course, no one ever drinks alcohol before the age of 18, do they? <laughs> oh, no, I didn't. Nope. No, no, of course not. Of course not. No, I was so... thinking about quitting by the time I was 18. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I kind of I kind of went into hospitality with the, the sort of the, the education part of it, further education. Left that degree having done a, a year and then a placement year. Placement year took me to um, South Beach, Miami, Florida for six months. So I worked in a bar restaurant over there, which was so cool. Such a great experience. Um, and then came back to the UK and finished that in the, in, in the UK. And the the, comp- the organisation that I worked for, for that second half of the placement, I ended up leaving to go and work for them basically full time and go through their like management training scheme, if you like. And I sort of grew with them for, for about six or seven years up to sort of kind of general manager level. So kind of achieved all the things that when I made the decision to leave uni I kind of achieved everything that I set out to do so you know a sort of a a, I guess if you like a um a risk analysis of of leaving uni versus you know staying and getting a degree kind of said to me well as long as you you know you've got you've got a goal and you've got objectives and you've got a a plan in mind and the plan was to, to progress through and get to general manager level and I did that and kind of got to a point where I think in my late 20s I just sort of realized that I'd sacrificed a lot like the hospitality industry back then was very very much work hard play hard like a culture of you know you would finish work you would clean the lines you would have a few beers you would go out drinking till god knows the wee hours go out clubbing you know you'd go back get little sleep often party afterwards I mean the amount of times that I would go to work having had little or no sleep like kind of was was scarily common and it was very much that sort of culture and it was because you're you're ever present around alcohol and ever present serving customers who were you know very much kind of partying if you think it was late 90s early 2000s where there's that ladette culture going on at the same time as kind of you know, booze Britain and all of these kind of things. And the sort of the clubbing industry was rife as well. So there was a lot of temptation at the time. And yeah, and that that took its toll on me in many ways. Do you mean physically, mentally, because of the drinking? What what do you mean by that? Uh, maybe not so much physically. I think, you know, it was I was in my 20s. So, you know, kind of physically fit and sort of capable of dealing with, you know, late nights, lack of sleep, long shifts on, on your feet, that kind of thing. I probably wasn't at my healthiest if I look back to that that period. You know, I probably wasn't doing a lot of exercise. I was smoking. I was drinking. I was doing drugs. I was, you know, I was living a fairly hedonistic life all in all. But I think mentally it probably took its toll because of the sort of the pressure and the expectation and the amount of hours you work and the sacrifices, I think, mainly that you make. Like I sacrificed Christmases. You're always working at hospitality in the hospitality industry at Christmas when everyone else is drinking, um, bank holiday weekends. So you're always working at the busiest times for people who work in those Monday to Friday jobs. So I think in terms of the, the sacrifices that I made, 
putting that first before friends and family I think that's what the biggest impact on me um, and it's interesting actually reflecting on that now and I haven't done that for a while but when I left and then went into recruitment actually it was it was great and it it took me a little while to adjust because you're so used to that those kind of working hours and that working schedule so to then go to like a Monday to Friday you've got to get up at half six seven every morning get to work on time all this kind of stuff it was a it was a bit of a difficult one to get used to. That business suddenly went into administration. But in the back of my head, I knew I loved hospitality. I loved alcohol. I loved selling. That was when I knew I kind of wanted to get into a sales, specifically a sales role to sell alcohol. And then I entered into my first sort of sales role in the drinks industry when, when I was 30. And that was kind of at the bottom run of the ladder, if you like, essentially a brand ambassador. So basically someone who goes out and represents one brand and you literally are like the face of that brand. So you go out, you, you do a bit of selling, but it's more about promoting, marketing, training people, coming up with cocktails, that kind of stuff. So it's quite a fun job in many ways, especially when you're, you know, you enjoy a party. So you can kind of combine the sort of the, the hedonistic hospitality side that I previously had with a normal sort of Monday to Friday life. Um, whether that's a good or a bad thing, I, I'm not entirely sure of reflection. A lot of people would always say to me, you haven't got a real job. You know, you, you get to basically go out and sell booze, what everyone's dream job kind of thing. And that's how people used to view, you know, a lot of the jobs that I did, a lot of my friends did anyway. And I always sort of used to see it as kind of, it's either a blessing in disguise or it's like an operational hazard. And now I look back and I think the latter. Um, but that was really where it sort of started. And then I essentially over the next 10 to 12 years sort of just climbed the ladder. When you work in the drinks industry, you're obviously surrounded by alcohol, but you're, always, you're also surrounded by opportunities to consume alcohol. So whether you're doing training sessions for customers, whether you're going and visiting customers and selling to them, whether you're hosting them at events, or, or whatever it might be that there is always an opportunity to drink and more often than not that opportunity to drink was an opportunity to drink a lot and sometimes it would be free be with suppliers you wouldn't have to pay for drinks so there was you know there was a real temptation there and it was made really easy to have a unhealthy lifestyle and an unhealthy relationship with alcohol could you have done that job without drinking do you think me personally no and I know that because I still worked in that industry. I was six months alcohol free. So I stopped drinking at the end of 2021. There was a period of eight, nine months where I was still working within that. And it, it at first, I didn't think too much about the impact that moving away from alcohol as a consumer would have on me vocationally in terms of the work environment. Because I think in the back of my head, I just thought, yeah, why would you not be able to do a job because you don't drink? I mean, how stupid does that sound? And, you know, there are people, I think, who do do it, who are who are sober and work with the drinks industry and fair play to them. If they can do that, then then fair enough. But for me, it was it it quickly became like a conflict of interest. And I, I started to feel like a hypocrite in, in many ways. You know, on one hand, I was actively distancing myself from the thing that I was meant to be promoting and selling and training people on and talking to people about. So you know professionally and knowledgeably on one hand I was done picking my relationship with alcohol as a consumer but I was still in a relationship with alcohol on a work basis and it was a really really it was a battle at times I, I found it really really 
difficult mentally at times to sort of deal with that and cope with that and come to terms with the prospect of not being able to do the job that was my job for 20 plus years. You know, I'd literally built a career around this thing, alcohol. And I mean, in hindsight now, I kind of look back and I'm in a position now where I can reflect on it and kind of sort of see it for what it what it was now. But, you know, I can look back now and say that for years, I assumed that alcohol, the thing, the industry that I worked in, was the thing that was giving me the opportunity to progress my career. It was the thing that I was building a career, a lifestyle, an identity, an image around. You know, I thought it was the thing that I had to hang my hat on, which was going to get me to where I wanted to get to, wherever that was. But now on reflection, I can stand back and look at it and say it was the thing that was holding me back. This whole time, the thing that I thought was giving me opportunity in life was the thing that was holding me back. And and I know that now because since I've stopped drinking and I've moved away from that, you know, the, the stuff that I've achieved in the last 12 months is probably more than I think I ever achieved in, you know, sort of 10, 12 years of, of working in that industry. What led you to the decision to get sober? Because mm. I would imagine that would have been a really hard decision yeah, it wasn't one event specifically. I think it happened over a number of years. And I think it's probably similar to your experience, actually, Steph. For me, it was definitely since we had kids, so almost nine years ago now. As I went into my 30s, I started to be very, very aware of the physical impact that alcohol and drinking sessions were having on me. Like really bad hangovers, like acute, severe headaches, like kind of cripplingly bad headaches. And not necessarily sickness but just a feeling of like I really can't cope with whatever I have on my schedule on my day and then when you start to combine that with young children that is not a good combination to have to have to deal with you know the lack of sleep the responsibility that comes with it isn't a good combination and so I think my consumption of alcohol started to go down at that point because of that. And then I think what then snowballed was, it was kind of a ripple effect. The less I drank, the less tolerance I had to it, the less tolerance I had to it, the less I wanted to drink. That's when I really started to be acutely aware of the negative impacts and the effects that alcohol was having on me, not just physically, but mentally as well. And the impact that it was having on me as a, as a parent and as a husband. And it was very little positives to take from that relationship anymore my role became increasingly difficult for me to do successfully. And so I kind of started to sort of reevaluate and think, is this what I want out of life? Is this what I want? Is this really, does this feel purposeful? Does this feel as if it has meaning to it? And, you know, it quickly realised it didn't. There was a sort of a cycle of poor mental health that followed, I think, because I hadn't been able to process what that would mean for me in terms of work and life and career. I still kind of assumed that the alcohol industry was my life and that was all I was ever going to be able to do. So, you know, kind of depression, I had to find myself having to process some some fairly dark thoughts at times as well. Like not suicidal, but suicidal thoughts, which, you know, if they're not tackled, then could potentially lead to something much, much worse. Thankfully, me and Bridget have a very, very honest and open relationship and, and she's always been very supportive and, you know, she says it how it is, black and white. And after some quite frank conversations around the fact that I was no longer being a particularly good father or husband and, you know, I couldn't deal with my challenges myself, which I always had done, you know, coping mechanisms that typical guy, like I can deal with this, I'll just go for a run or, you know, I go to the pub, get pissed with the boys, that kind of thing. Started to realise that those coping mechanisms weren't working anymore. And then it sort of dawned on me that I had to accept that I needed to get some professional help. What do you think about 
the way that alcohol is marketed at the moment, knowing knowing that some people can drink it responsibly. And, and you know, I always hold my hands up to that and say, I am fully aware that not everyone drinks like I used to drink. You know, I could drink two glasses of wine in six minutes. I could literally just down it like it was water. And I know some people will make a glass of wine last them an hour, two hours. But alcohol is still not good for those people. It's it's just there's nothing good about it. So what do you think about the way that people are sold alcohol? Because if you look at the adverts, it's all glamorous and hanging out with friends and popularity and it's just not a reflection of, of what it actually is. The reality of it. No, I agree. Although I have quite a nuanced view of it, I think because of my experiences in my previous career. So on one hand, I spent 20 years doing a job that I, I loved predominantly for many years, which never really felt like a job. It felt like a hobby. I got to travel the world, visit fantastic vineyards, distilleries, breweries all over the world, met some incredible people. A lot of them suppliers who had multi-generational businesses that have been handed down you know when i look at those people and i think well, they're just doing their job they're not trying to harm anyone they're just doing what they've always done and they're trying to make a really quality product and sell that to the consumer their intention is not to cause harm or hurt to anyone so on one hand i have that but then i also now have my sober head on you know 18 months alcohol free seeing all the benefits that I've had and the experience and, and you know everything that I've been able to achieve and overcome in the last 18 months two years because of in, in uncertain terms being alcohol free so I do sort of look at it and think this thing is being marketed and promoted to people in a way that if it was like, let's take an example of there's a, a well-known vodka brand that puts people's names bespoke printed on the vodka bottle and then they put it into ice buckets with sparklers and send it up to send it out to tables in nightclubs so it's kind of like um, personalized alcohol like imagine if we did that with a bag of cocaine imagine if someone could and i'd imagine there's probably as drug dealers doing this but you know if you were able to just order a bag of cocaine with your name on with some sparklers you know flashing lights whatever it might be that's that and i know a lot of people will sort of say that well oh well no it's different it's not fundamentally you look at the stats and alcohol is probably the most harmful drug when you look at the overall impact to society as a whole not just the individuals that we have in our society but it is different in the sense that alcohol has been around for centuries for millennia you know there were trappist monks thousands of years ago that were making things like mead so it's been around for so long that that's why it's so ingrained i think where it started to get out of control and i think the same about a lot of things in our in our western society these days i think it's the way it's it's glamorized and marketed and promoted to people now and you know we're kind of all to blame because we're all consumers we all consume things so if we consume things we create a demand and the only reason that it's there, the availability is there, is if the demand's there. So if the demand there is, we're asking for it as consumers, then there's an opportunity for producers to sell it. I think, you know, there does need to be a much better communication around the risks and the harms of alcohol, because not everyone can have a inverted commas healthy relationship with alcohol. But my relationship, I wouldn't have said, was overwhelmingly unhealthy with, with alcohol, I just got to the point where I realized there was no single benefit. There was no positive that I was taking from me consuming alcohol. And now it just doesn't play a role. It can't play a, 
positive role in my life because of all the things that I want to achieve and all the benefits that I've got for it and all the goals and objectives and things that I now know that I will do going forward. But for some people, you know, some people can. Some people could just have a glass of wine once a week, whatever it is. I mean, Bridget, my wife, she doesn't have any problem with alcohol. She, she doesn't drink anywhere near what we used to mainly because we've only got alcohol-free beers in the fridge. There's a lovely brand called Clean Break, you know, which uh, which often fr- frequents our fridge. Well, let's talk about that because you flipped the script. Like you're doing non-alcoholic beverages now. I've created your own beer. Let's let's hear about that. Yeah, it's kind of still sort of feels a bit pinchy at the moment. But um, <laughs> yeah, if I go back to that period when I left the industry, so kind of around August last year, I, I said before, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I knew what I didn't want to do. And that was sell booze. And I went into a Segway job, which didn't work out. I wasn't right for them. They weren't right for me. But what it did do is it got me out of that industry. At the same time, I'd done some work with a couple of coaches, NLP, mindset, nutritionist coach, and they were running a men's wellbeing weekend, which I went on. And on that weekend... I'd already had the idea for the brand, Clean Break, which originally started life as the the name of a book, which I'll probably still write at some point. The idea for the beer kind of came out of that. And then it was on this wellbeing retreat where we worked on everything from, you know, breath work, yoga, um, uh, mindfulness, meditation, to also writing down goals and objectives and working on limiting self-beliefs. And I worked really hard on my own limiting beliefs. and, And out of that, I kind of got this plan essentially that I was going to go and do this beer brand and I planned to do it in the background whilst I was still doing this other job because I thought we need to have a steady income so the plan was to do it alongside that but in the end it turns out that yeah I went into my three-month appraisal with them and my line manager just sat me down and said this probably isn't going to go the way you expect it to we're not going to renew your contract we're going to let you go as of immediately and I sort of sat there for a couple of seconds knowing that in the back of my head I'd already made my mind up I was going to do this and I just turned to him and I said, thanks. That's the best thing that you could have ever said to me. And he would sort of looked at me and went, what? I said, I've got this idea for an alcohol-free beer brand and I want to do it. And I was planning on doing it alongside working here. The reality is it probably would have taken me a lot longer to, to get to where I am now if I was trying to juggle a full-time job. And I just said, thanks. You know, now I've got the impetus. I've got the opportunity to go and do it. And we just remortgaged the house. So we kind of knew we'd have a bit of a safety net for six months. And I was like, I think I can turn this around in six months and get it to market. Given my experience in the industry, contacts that I had, knowledge that I had about production, brewing, marketing, brand development, sales, you know, all of that kind of things. So that was back in October. And I just kind of, at that point, I threw myself into it and I said to myself, right, I'm now going to focus on two things. Firstly, sharing the joy of taking a break from alcohol. And secondly, also running. And the two things that are probably now most important to me are, are those two things. Yeah, it's been a very, very rewarding, liberating process, not having to get validation from anyone else, putting me into it, everything that I want to decide that's right for the brand. At a very early stage, I realized as well, I had an opportunity to do something not just great for myself and my family, but also for other people. So I kind of came up with this idea of this this charitable donation, 10 pence from every can or unit that's sold goes to charity. So I've got sort of two charity partners. One's called The Running Charity, obviously very close to my heart. So any of my retail sales, i.e. through the website or through retailers, goes to that. An on-trade partner, so hospitality sales um, through pubs and bars and restaurants will go to um, uh, a social enterprise, not-for-profit social enterprise, not a charity, but they're called The Burnt Chef Project. So I kind of knew I had this opportunity to do some good. So that's sort of set up. And um, yeah, we, we officially launched about a month ago. We're uh, what you'd call a mono-skew brand. So just a single product for now. I do have a plan to launch um, 
maybe one, possibly two other products, a, a lager or a pilsner. But for now, it's very much building the brand equity around uh, progression pale ale, it's called. It doesn't sound like you could ever work in the alcohol industry again. Because actually one word that you said during this whole interview that has really stuck out to me is the word hypocrite. And when you said that, I thought that is exactly what I thought you were going to say. And I couldn't put my finger on the word. But in order to sell alcohol, you can't turn around and say, well, I don't drink it because I know it's bad for me. Right. Mentally, morally, you probably don't want to sell it. So that was my question really for this for this whole episode was can you work in the alcohol industry when you're sober and i i think it's probably very very difficult because of because of that yeah really difficult funny enough when, when i first started down the journey with clean break i kind of in the back of my head i knew that i would probably need to at some stage generate some other income from somewhere else whilst i get clean break like up and running which at the moment it's, it's not going to pay the bills but it's going in the right direction and um I did some consultancy work for a friend in the industry that I've known for a little while, and she's got her own kind of alcohol sales agency. She works with some alcohol-free brands as well. But, um, you know, I did some work with her, helping her to sort of get into some on-trade hospitality groups and and, and national accounts. Um, But I did feel really uncomfortable doing it because of exactly those reasons. You know, it doesn't align with my values now my personal values so I was in the back of my head I knew I was doing something that didn't align with my values and what I think I've realized now is that for a long long time I was kind of almost sort of searching for meaning and purpose in life in the wrong place and I've kind of realized now that a quote from someone who I really respect is you'll find meaning and purpose in life in the things that you give meaning and purpose to so I was giving meaning and purpose to all of the wrong things and now I'm giving meaning and purpose to running and alcohol free and helping other people and it feels really purposeful and it's got so much meaning to it i think it's amazing that rich found a way to hone in on those skills of selling you know the alcohol but in a way that was in alignment with him right so like instead of selling regular beer now he is taken that knowledge and created a non-alcoholic version that he can really get behind because it also, you know, promotes his lifestyle, which is running and all of that. And I just, I don't know how many people would do that. You know, they just leave and then they they feel lost. Like, now what do I do? Like, I've done this all my life. Now what do I do with myself? You know, so I think it's really cool that he he created a brand that he can really feel good about going to work every day. Yeah, I agree. And I think the alcohol-free industry, the drinks industry, is booming, isn't it? Oh, I mean, yeah. people are saying you, you should be investing in this because it's just growing. I mean, in the past few weeks, both of my local supermarkets have dedicated a whole area for alcohol-free drinks. And they're not supermarkets, actually. That that happened a while ago, but they're they're smaller kind of mini-mart places. Oh, okay, yeah. So yeah, to yeah. have a whole area dedicated to alcohol free is massive because they're not big shops you know they've got 15 20 varieties there and that is a real sign of the times isn't it because normally you'd have to really dig around to find one oh, it's terrible blood zero yeah. or something heineken zero and it's it's now there's so many more options and you've even got ipas you've got you know wines fizzy stuff you've got gins all kinds of stuff and it's it's booming so he's definitely onto something you know as far as a business goes but it you're right and I think 
in any industry, in any sector, you have to believe in what you're doing. Otherwise, it mm-hmm. would just be depressing trying to go out there and sell something that you know is making so many people unhappy. You know, and as we always say, I know it does not affect everyone the way that it affected us. It, ne- it never becomes a problem. People can take or leave a glass of wine. They can stop at a glass yeah. or a small beer and then not drink for another five days. But there are so many people that cannot do that. But the alcohol-free drinks thing, Steph, is an interesting one, isn't it? Because whenever I post on Instagram about alcohol-free drinks, I get comments from people saying, that means you're not sober. It's just the same. Why are you pretending to drink a drink? Why don't you just give it up and drink a Coca-Cola? And I'm like, I don't like Coca-Cola. I don't like sodas. I never have. And I like having something to drink. What's the difference? It's a non-alcoholic drink like Ribena or like squash. But they're like, well, it says beer and it looks like beer and it tastes like beer. So why are you drinking it? And it's a very interesting argument. Where where do you stand on this? You know, at first I didn't go near them because I just didn't know how I would react. And I just, I was still not confident enough, I guess, in my sobriety. And I think I did see a lot of things on Instagram where people were like, oh, it's really triggering. And I was scared. Like I didn't want it to trigger me. But as I, I think I was about eight months sober when I had my first NA beer and I had it because I wanted to taste beer. And I knew at that time I didn't want to numb anything out. Like I was so clear in my intentions. At that point in my sobriety, I just wanted to taste it. I just, I loved the taste of beer. Did I like getting drunk at the time? Yes. I also liked the numbing effect, but as I progressed in my sobriety and I found new ways to handle my emotions, I didn't need that crutch anymore. So then all that was left was I just wanted to taste it. It was a hot day and I just wanted to have a cold beer and I'm like, I'm going to do it. And what I noticed is I only had one. I only had one. Now, in the past, if it was an alcoholic beer, I would have chugged that one, cracked open another. And before you know it, I would have been six in and that didn't happen. I had no urge to have another one. And so that's what told me that something had shifted, that now I'm drinking it as a beverage for the taste instead of trying to like use it as my medicine to numb out or to avoid things or to use it to socialize. So I think it's it's a very personal choice. But another thing that people bring up is the fact that there's a lot of the big name alcohol companies like Heineken and Corona and all them that make an NA version. And some people feel like if you're buying the NA version, you are still supporting that business. And I can kind of see that. But at the same time, I'm like, we don't have a lot of options right now, right? Like, And also, you know, some of the cereal you buy is made by a pharmaceutical company. At the moment, I'm trying not to drink. And all I care about is that I don't put any alcohol into Correct. my mouth. Yep. So quite frankly, however you get there is fine. When it comes to people endorsing you or getting sponsorship, there's that argument. And actually, I wrote an article recently about something to do with this. And it was about marketing rules. And should they be different from alcohol-free drinks? Because it's a big debate going on in Scotland at the moment. Should alcoholic drinks, which have all these kind of caps around them, you're not allowed to advertise like this or like this, should it be the same for the alcohol free? And it's a debate. And my article kind of said, you know, I, I can't make my mind up. There are pros and cons to both. But I said maybe one idea would be that if an alcohol free beer is 
owned by a company that only produces alcohol-free drinks, they should have looser marketing guidelines mm-hmm. than a company that produces an AF alternative like Guinness, for example. So maybe they should be more lenient with the brands that come from a company that is purely alcohol-free and they should be given benefits because of that and they should be able to reach a larger audience because I hated beer I never drank beer when I was a drinker but I love alcohol-free beer and I drank it for the first week I stopped drinking I wasn't on Instagram I didn't hear anyone's opinion I did it on my own I didn't have any outside information coming in so I just thought this will be something I can do where I'm not drinking and it was so helpful to me I drank probably two or three some nights. Sometimes I didn't drink anything, but it did show me that I wasn't thirsty. That's not why I drank so much alcohol because I'd open a non-alcoholic wine and it would still be in the fridge, you know, half empty two days later. That never happened. I never had leftover wine unless it was kind of the second bottle. So I personally love them. I think I'm so happy to see the alcohol-free industry booming. I think it's great. I think it's, it's not just people like us who are drinking them either it's people who don't want to drink during the week who still yeah. drink but they're choosing to drink those because they're the flavor is is great yeah. why would they drink one with alcohol in it because they're not drinking to get drunk that's the difference they're drinking to socialize or because they like the taste because they associate but actually they don't necessarily want the alcohol so for those people it's great as well. And it's great for younger people who might want to go out and have a beer with their friends, but they don't actually want to have alcohol and they can actually still get involved and not feel like the outsider. Because I think some of those people are very health aware. And, you know, as we're finding out, like, no amount of alcohol is really safe. You know, they used to say that, you know, seven drinks is fine, you know, if it's spaced out throughout the week, you know, one a day or whatever, but now we're finding it's really not. I mean, as the people become more health aware too, this is an amazing alternative to go to. And they taste so good. They are dead on. People all the time will ask me when I'm having them, is it good? And I I can be such a smart ass sometimes when people ask me if what I'm drinking is good because I'm thinking, listen. Why would I be drinking? Yeah, like, no, it tastes like <laughs> shit. Yeah, exactly. Do you want some? Yeah. That- but it's just so funny because they're like, is it good? Like they can't wrap their brain around. Uh, they think that the alcohol is what makes it taste good. It's quite the opposite. Alcohol yeah. tastes like shit. Gross. Yeah. We are we are making it taste good so that we can consume it. So really, Absolutely. Exactly. it tastes exactly the same. My husband has tried a lot of them and he's like, wow, these are dead on. And I'm like, what were you expecting? It's just kind of like crazy to yeah. me when you think about yeah. it. Like people think the alcohol is what's making it taste good. And actually that whole thing about, you know, seven drinks a week, if that were true, we'd be told that when we were pregnant. We're not. If it's not dangerous, why are we told that? They know. They have always known. And when I say they, I have no idea who I'm talking about. But those <laughs> people up there who are making money and don't care, right. they know alcohol's bad for you and when it comes to growing a baby they're like right I think we need to stop here and let people know not to do that but I'm sorry I just that's always I've always just said well why do I drink if I won't drink because I don't want to harm my baby but I'm willing to harm myself you know if they tell me not to drink when I'm pregnant surely it's really bad for you otherwise why would they tell you that It's, it's waking up to things like that and my daughter and I have recently become vegetarians and 
we've tried all the meat alternatives and I mm. find them revolting. Mm -hmm. There's like one pastrami that we like, but all the corn stuff, I'm like, I'd rather just use courgettes or zucchini, as you call them. You focus on what tastes good. So there's some beers I don't like, there's some I do, yeah. but I drink them because I'm looking forward to them. And I have drunk the most revolting alcoholic drinks before because oh. they're alcohol and that's all there is. If that's all there is there, I'm up for it. You know, I'd rather have a nice one, but actually, yeah, past the blue nun or whatever, the gross super tenants extra cans I used to drink. You might love drinking wine and you might enjoy people who love the taste of wine and people who work in vineyards and who appreciate wine, funnily enough, are not all alcoholics. No, they will taste a tiny bit and they'll spit it out. Yeah. Or they'll drink the smallest amounts and really talk about what it tastes like. And I've been to loads of wine tastings and it's the difference between the people who do that and the people like me. who Because how annoying wine. is it when you go to those wine tastings and they only fill your glass I know, with like I a know. half an inch of wine and you're going, oh, can you give me a little bit more? Yeah. I mean, there's a red flag. Obviously, yeah. like I had a problem because I hated going to wine tastings because yeah. of that, because I'm like, why don't they give you more? Well, yeah, exactly. they don't need more. Like. No. It's extremely strong. Yeah. The alcohol content is extremely strong. It's extremely bold in flavor. You only yeah. are supposed to have a taste. And I wasn't there for the taste. I was there no. because I'm going to day drink and get shit faced. Time to talk about it. Now, take another sip and you look at your empty glass and you're like, um, I've sort of Can mixed I have some more? liquid. I used to run charity wine tastings because I used to have fundraise for my local Age UK, which is like um, fundraising for elderly people in the community. And I used to do a wine tasting at a really smart wine merchant where I live. And my wine tastings would sell out within an hour of me putting them up on social media because oh, wow. I would always order so much more wine. I would put a proper amount of wine for each tasting each bottle it would be like a glass of wine um and then I'd leave them out and people could refill so people loved it for that exact reason yep. because they could just go along and it was like no at Kate's events you literally drink you go out of there and you've had six glasses of wine mm -hmm. and then the rest I look back and I'm just like that's so embarrassing at the time of this being released Steph I should be in deep Africa in the Serengeti um, so hopefully I come back in one piece, but yeah, have I, a good summer. <laughs> I'll be thinking of you. Stay oh, safe. Thank you. I Cheers, can't wait Steph. to hear all about it. Bye, Kate. Thank you for listening. We really hope you enjoyed the show. Remember, we're just two women from opposite sides of the pond wanting to bring awareness around the negative effects of alcohol. We are not licensed therapists or doctors. If alcohol is causing any mental or physical health issues, please seek professional help. Please be sure to give us a follow so you don't miss future episodes. If you think our podcast could help someone you know, please be sure to share it. Also, leaving a five-star review will help The Sober Effect reach more people like you. The music for this show was produced and recorded by Pearl and Thumbelina Jim of the wonderful Charm Jar Music. More information can be found in our show notes.